comps as opposed to like deluxe they, reissues. Yeah, they don't. They reissued all of them in uh, just single disc, the original track running, all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Which you know, I get the merit of that. I like what um, what Rhino did mm-hmm. with having the original album on one disc and then everything else on a second disc because that's what bothered me about the Ryko reissues oh yeah because they put them on one yeah um and i i like um having some separation so if i want to just listen to the original album i can Mm -hmm. um and you know of course this was this was before um i don't know before i was listening on on online and all of that so um back when I was popping a disc in the car to listen to <laughs> or popping a disc on at home or something. It was it was nice to have a complete album. And then um, uh, then everything else. But yeah, I mean, he's still got... I think that of artists that have done a comprehensive reissue like that, I think that he's done the best job of curating it. Mm-hmm. Because his essays in the uh, in the liner notes are really good, yeah. Um, and then, like, if you could compile those into a book, and I would read it because well, it's, a lot of them do end up in uh, portions of them do end up in uh, the uh, thing he wrote, the memoir, the, the uh, memoir. invisible ink, and, and yeah. or disappearing mm-hmm. ink, and uh, something words, yeah. Uh, but which I, was a great book i, I love yeah. that book yeah oh god i actually prefer that one to the springsteen memoir i think it's more compelling from a, a writing standpoint oh I, um i it i'll be i think it took me a good few months to get through costellos and that had a lot to do with just my schedule at the time mm-hmm. i just sweat through Springsteen's it's taking me longer to get through Springsteen's and you know why because I I have an internal uh, bias built up since he only spent like two pages on Nebraska and that's my favorite album and all I was I was like this is gonna be great I'm gonna get to hear more about you know what he had to say on the songs and and uh you know writing that album and i know you know it was his demos at home so maybe there's not a lot on recording it but there's got to be stories behind writing the songs it was three pages he spent more time talking about like the red light district in germany than he talked about (laughs) nebraska (laughs) i think i think well the book came out just after i had seen the river in concert um yeah, we must have been at the same. Sh- Did you see it here at? Uh, yeah, I reviewed it. Talking for, stick. Yeah, I reviewed it for New Times. Okay, so we were at the same show. I was yeah. off off on the side in an area that didn't get great sound, and uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, I, I admittedly um, the um, the ticket the review tickets are significantly a little bit better than <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. Well, um, the funny thing is too. So funny story. So I thought. Patty was in the band that night. She was not. She was not. Yeah. But I, but it looked like from where I was at, it looked like Patty. Mm-hmm. Um, is it Susie Tyrell? Yeah, it was yeah. Susie Tyrell. So I, when I submitted, because you only get like a few hours to write it, mm-hmm. um, 
I ran that I saw Patty and because mm-hmm. I got red hair and uh, from where I was seeing it, it looked like it was her and of course uh, I was dead wrong mm-hmm. and then the hate mail started coming in I was going to say I'm sure that some rabid Springsteen fan was like no that wasn't Patty yeah and it was funny because I think um, Woodbury was there too mm-hmm. but he um, and I don't know where his seats were but he because says no dude Patty was not there <laughs> <laughs> yeah like, no, that he, was that was Susie I'm like oh crap so we made a really quick correction before like the hate mail got so bad gotcha yeah how did so he did the band intro right so I may have it was a weird day that day mm-hmm. uh, um I may have missed the band intro I I thought that um I, I was happy to see that show. It's I've seen better Springsteen concerts though. Mm-hmm. That's one where um, I was talking to Jenny, Jenna Duncan about this either. Oh, and by this, by the way, this is the podcast where we talk about Elvis Costello and Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> oh, have we been recording? We've been the recording time. the whole time. Um, we'll we'll get to to the, the to the good place in a sec here, but this is important. Um, you're listening to What the Fork. Uh, we're at What the Fork Pod on everything. Uh, what the Fork Pod at Gmail dot com. And uh, leave us reviews on on Apple Podcasts, please, and rate us. Our 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 uh, audience has been like, uh, well, I won't say soaring, but for a, a relatively small unknown podcast, our, our listenership has been increasing a ton. So, oh, that's very nice. Um, I know people are listening, and if you could just you know take five minutes to drop a little review on Apple Podcasts, it would be much appreciated because mm-hmm. then other people will listen too. Just just hit the f- just hit the fifth star on, on your iPhone. <laughs> I want honesty. So if if you feel like it's a four, I'll be okay with that. So, <laughs> um, I'll even take four and a half. There, yeah. Can you do that? Uh, I don't <laughs> I'm think sorry, you but can. Um, but what we're saying about about Springsteen is because um, uh, that's that's important. Um, is that uh, I saw him. I think it was for uh, when he was on tour for Working on a Dream, okay. which is not an album I love. Right. Um, for a number of reasons, but uh, and it was a great show because you know he he doesn't strictly adhere to set lists. He did you know he did like a sit down piano version of of uh, I think it was Does This Bus Stop at Eighty Second Street and <laughs> and um, it was just there was some really cool um, was it incident on anyway whatever it, it, I like when he's able to just kind of do anything on the map and my favorite portion of that concert and i i like the river a lot it's not Mm. my favorite album i prefer darkness on the edge of town which comes before it and nebraska which comes after um i think that the river has some great songs on it including the title track um and uh uh stolen car Mm. there's a, a lot of great songs on it but um to to have that be the bulk of the show, um, eh, I lot, some of the songs haven't dated well for me, and I don't care if I never hear Ramrod again. Right. Um, no, and I I agree. There were some songs hit better than others. I think at the time I just found that that I was having my first son. Mm. Um, so a lot of what the content of the album, which I had not taken a deep dive in mm-hmm. for like a few for a while, like oh crap, he's He's not just talking. Well, of course, he's not talking about me personally, mm-hmm. but a lot of it hit home for me. Gotcha. Um, and it just kind of. Plus, it was the first time I've ever seen Springsteen live. Ah. 
Um, so I really got swept up in all of it. Yeah. I mean, I agree that, yes, Ramrod, I could probably go another day with, probably be okay with never listening to it again. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few other ones that I wouldn't mind not, you know, that aren't my favorites on the album, but I really do like um, that. The the concert to me had like, was just really, I got really swept up in it mm-hmm. personally and emotionally for me. And then just, um, I forget what you played like for the post album stuff. Well, and I was, know he played like the hit. Oh, I remember he played a lot of the hits. He played a lot of stuff from, from born in the USA. Yeah. Um, but, and he also did because the night, which I always enjoy hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, but that's what I thought you could see as an audience member, or at least to me, it felt like getting through the river at that point in the tour because they'd been, mm-hmm. Phoenix was well into the tour and they'd been doing this thing of playing the river from start to finish and then going into, into the, the second portion of the show, um, was that, uh, that by the time we got it, it felt like getting through the river was a little bit of a chore. Oh yeah. And then once they got through with that, the energy was just incredible. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it was like a big release Mm -hmm. once, Mm -hmm. once he, and stolen car is the last song on the album right yeah yeah once he got through stolen Wait, car so i think uh wreck on the highways yeah last... wreck on the highways yeah. once he got through that one it's just like oh thank like i was like it did and he went straight into the hits i mm-hmm. was very happy about that of course um but um i i just kind of got swept up in all of it yeah um and uh, i had read Jason's article about the show he did in Tempe. I wish he would have acknowledged that a little bit too, because mm-hmm. I think that's one's on the box set. The oh yeah, the yeah, um, yeah, the one at Gamage, right? Yeah, yeah. I wish he would have, just like when you two was here doing Joshua Tree. I wish mm-hmm. they would have somehow mentioned the show that they did at Sun Devil Stadium. Well, uh, I want to say that I've I've seen Springsteen where he mentioned that Tempe show. Um, and it's, it's, I, it's, I don't know. It seems like, you know, they can't mention it every time. I think that, uh, yeah. it would have been right to acknowledge it in the context of playing the river though. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, because it's, it's kind of that seminal show. It was, it was bootlegged for a while and then, you know, then officially released for, mm-hmm. for the, the, um, the river box at the ties that bind. But, uh, anyway. Where, oh. let's let's talk about the good place yes. because like i said that's what we're here to do i had no um, idea we were recording <laughs> <laughs> i you know but you know that's what i do i, I would just, have attempted I, to sound smarter <laughs> I, <laughs> you know i i've found that there's not a lot of, you, you, i don't know when you start talking about music that you feel passionate about or that you have um a specific affinity for that it uh you you can sound um i don't think that you can necessarily sound smart no <laughs> <laughs> because there's too much feeling behind i do it. i do get very fanboyish uh about certain artists so uh there are a couple of things that i wanted to mention um and i feel a little bit bad because one of the things that i had mentioned that i was excited to 
to kind of get to was um, people responding uh, to what they heard on the podcast, um, either through email or social media. And um, we had somebody do that, uh, and we kind of we kind of glossed over it. Um, we talked um, on the show about um, that article in the Ringer yeah. and the recommendations in that. Uh, and one of the things that was talked about um, was um, David Foster Wallace. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which that was Chris who... Yeah, Chris Ayers, who uh, amongst other things, uh, a number of other things, uh, is the um, person behind the Phoenix Film Collective. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he had replied to, um, based on us talking about that article... Um, I think it was episode three, maybe episode right two or three. Um, mentioned that uh, um, I'll just read it. Uh, some short suggested reading related to Michael Shore uh, and morality. David Foster Wallace's Octet, a series of short essay pop quizzes with very difficult moral choices. Uh, pretty sure this was a big influence on the Good Place because Shore is a huge DFW fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and you went ahead and and ordered brief it's brief interviews with hideous people, right? Yeah, that's the essay that uh, um, I, uh, Octet uh, shows up in, and I haven't read the particular essay yet mm-hmm. because, as anything with Mister Wallace, there are footnotes. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. Um, and I'm not. Uh, I, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm a fan of footnotes, actually. Okay. Um, I like the diversions. Um, mm. You know who does that? Also, is Chuck Klosterman. Yes, he does. Um, I and I. I, I like those, but um, so when I before I moved here, I lived in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, and I believe David Foster Wallace was still a professor at Illinois State University at the time. Mm. So I had heard of Infinite Jest, and I, um, I really um, wanted to get into him, and then I picked up the twelve hundred page tome that is Infinite, Infinite Jest. Jest, yeah, and thought, oh, this will, this will be, this will be great. <laughs> this will give me something, and I just, I couldn't even get started because my eyes just, because there's footnotes like mm-hmm. Fosterman does, you know, that, and there's footnotes like david foster wallace does where it mm. becomes it can be distraction and it's just an all-out just you lose it's easy to get lose your place and just become generally overwhelmed mm-hmm. um so i um anyone who wants to uh start a reading group for infinite just mm-hmm. and maybe do a podcast about layer uh, i'm your guy <laughs> i bet i wonder if chris would be interested in doing that because i know infinite just um he, i i was at his uh home to record um uh an on the grid episode okay. with um with phil haldeman and uh it's he has a number of copies sitting on his shelf. So, um, I, I have not taken the dive into that. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting to discuss it with somebody who, who has read it pretty studiously. Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that I, I, you know, it it feels like you have to be in the right frame of mind to go ahead and try to tackle that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I find lately that with as, as, as many things, irons 
as I have in the fire. Um, it's uh, I get distracted too easily, mm-hmm. which is you know. And I think, and I think Chris said too that Shore produced the brief interviews with Hideous Men movie mm-hmm. directed the adaptation, by yeah. yeah, directed by written and directed by John Krasinski. Mm-hmm. I think he also said he owns the rights to Infinite Jest. And didn't that seems like it would be a hell of a thing to try to put into a film? I think he just wants to do it so no one else does. Gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> that would be that would be. Uh, I think that would be. I think that's maybe. So, I know you were talking with Barb Vanderberg about Lincoln and the Bardo. Mm-hmm, um. Mm-hmm. So Nick Offerman bought the the rights to that. Oh, really? And I wonder how they would adapt that into a movie. But then my thought was. He just bought them so no one else would. Sure. <laughs> so no one ever makes a movie off it. Uh, you know, I kind of have to respect that because there are those things that, that you don't want to see somebody ruin. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a bad adaptation of something can just, it, you know, as a fan of the book, it just it breaks your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's what was, I'm trying to think of something. I, because I know I've seen horrible adaptations of things and just been like, why, why, why? My wife tells me that the, I've not read the dark tower, mm-hmm. but my wife tells me that the movie version is horrible and nothing like the book. Gotcha. Um, I didn't like the movie, even never having read the books. <laughs> I, I had high hopes for that because I feel like Matthew McConaughey has been doing some good stuff mm-hmm. over the last, well, let's it's say five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he did, some good things back in the early days as well, but he had a long time of just crap movies. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, you know, I thought he was making some interesting choices and it has Idris Elba in it. And Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, Oh, those two, that could be a really cool film. And I never bothered to see it. So you're just, just, just keep on skipping it. Just keep on skipping it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, I, I think maybe even, so where I was going to with that too is that so I think Shore directed this Decemberist video. Oh. And it uses a game um it uses a game I think that was part of a David Foster Wallace novel. Hmm. I'm I'm going to um I'm going to use Google. Um Google, eh? Yes. Maybe Bing, I'm not sure. Um and I'm going to type in Michael Shore and the Decemberists. That seems like a good way to get to an answer. <laughs> and um, yes, so there is a um, the Calamity song. The video for Calamity song uh, is a based on a game inside Infinite Jest. Okay. Um, And that was like seven years ago. Uh, So, yeah, it's there's an article on uh, New York Times, and he's the gentleman in the sweatshirt and the picture. Ah, okay. Uh, So, uh, yeah, he's, um, Hmm. yes, as Chris Chris pointed out, uh, he is a, um, he's he's, a a big fan of DFW. Yeah, he's a good, and I, and as I started to uh, briefly explore, Chris's tweet more. I I did. I am seeing the similarities and hmm. how it, um, kind of how it kind of gets 
explores these bigger issues through, gotcha. through humor and literature. It's it's funny too. Without spoiling season three, did you watch yesterday or uh, this week's episode? I did not. So okay. say nothing about it. Never about it. Uh, I am I'm a bit behind. Uh, well, a, a bit. I'm only one episode behind. Okay. I'll get caught up by the end of this weekend. So never mind then. Um, but let's. Uh, so we're we're at about the twenty minute mark, and oh. we will we'll go <laughs> ahead and and start talking about uh, about episode six of the Good Place. And um, I'm gonna hope that we I have all the sound hooked up correctly here. We'll we'll see in a second. Um, but I have. Um, I do have some specific time codes, um, mm. and we can kind of see what uh, what what you've got in there as well. I don't think that we need to play through the introduction, other than to say um, I, I enjoy the um, the <laughs> discussion of the clowns and and mm. Eleanor's clown names. Yes, um, I was slightly upset, though it was probably um, fake upsetness. Just because I know Kristen Bell is from Detroit, mm-hmm. and not once did I see a juggalo on that wall. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, so I'm just saying, ICP may not be your uh, may not be your cup of tea, K Bell, but I think I think um, Detroit needs I think Detroit needs some love right there, and you missed opportunity. <laughs> Let's see, is this? I have a feeling I'm going to get an error on this. Yep. Okay. So let me close this. I'm going to pause the show over. <laughs> All right. So we're back <laughs> after about a ridiculous, like probably 30 minutes of technical difficulties, um, possibly more. So I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not going to go into the boring details of it, but suffice to say, uh, as soon as trying to get the Netflix um, recording portion of it in there, um, it, it aired out and, and the frustration ensued from there. But we're, we're, we're back into it now. You kept remarkably calm through the whole thing. I, w- I really wanted to dare McGavin it. Um, <laughs> and hopefully that if for any of the uninitiated, Darren McGavin was the, um, the dad in, um, in a, a Christmas story. Um, he always uh, says the things, unintelligible things there, there are swear words. Exactly. Like what the fudge. Yep. Uh, except, well, except that uh, he didn't say fudge. Um, <laughs> It's the worst word you can say. Uh, yeah. Uh, fragile. That's that's <laughs> the guy for that. All right. But now we're back in business after jury rigging something up with the laptop and and plugging it all in. And um, and we're going to get going into it. And I'm going to have to fix everything up in editing as far as all of the awkwardness goes. Um, but, I mean, obviously, it's us, and I can't fix all the awkwardness. So. No. <laughs> That's, Some of the awkwardness yeah. is hereditary for me. It's uh, <laughs> likewise, and uh, you know, it's going to take a therapist um, probably. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so so we were getting into the introduction, uh, discussing Eleanor's problems with the clowns, including what did she say, Psycho George Washington? Psycho George Washington. That's right. Um, and uh, replacing the the. <laughs> Are we keeping our bit about the juggalos in here? 
I think we might have lost the Jekyll a bit. Oh, man. Um, which, if you want to reiterate... Well, I mean, again, to reiterate, um, Kristen Bell is from Detroit, the home of ICP, mm-hmm. the um, clowniest rap duo of all time. <laughs> and yes. I feel that she... Uh, un- the Juggalo, clown Juggalo uh, part here just got underrepresented here. Yeah. That was a missed opportunity. For sure. Um, so, but um, to get the Juggalo market. I don't know how missed it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was not missed by me. But uh, we're, we're getting into, at last, the beginning of it. Um, and uh, we've got... Uh, Chidi introducing the concept of the week, as it were, the philosophical... Hey, my mouse is working now. Um, the philosophical concept of the week with... Um, well, he's going to say it now. I thought, I thought contractualism might have been made up, but I should have known better. Right here in this right easily understandable here. comic strip. Nope, in this book about the theory of contractualism. What we owe to each other. <gasps> I saw this movie. Laura Linney cries in a lake house because Jude Law left her for his ex-wife's ghost. No. Quick summary of contractualism. Uh, Imagine a group of reasonable people are coming up with the rules for a new society. Like if your Uber driver talks to you, the ride should be free? Sure, but anyone can veto any rule that they think is unfair. So if you said we should be able to break our promises without any repercussions, someone would veto that rule. Well, my first rule would be that no one can veto my rules. Well, that's called tyranny, and it's generally frowned upon. Like I said, if except for the Trump presidency. Someone, you exactly. Do it. Just like I promised to help you, and still am, despite your constant mockery. <laughs> Whatever, you love it. So, either I help him find the problem, which is me, and I'm doomed, or I don't help him and then i'm behaving unethically and the whole world goes crazy and i'm caught anyway i need to figure out a way to both help him and not help him at the same time that's literally not possible oh really i once posed as a hot prom date for my cousin (laughs) both helping him and later according to his therapist not helping him (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh right. So that's how it works in their family. <laughs> Later, according to the therapist, not helping. Um, I did want to. I I feel like we should continue to talk a little bit about the philosophy movement that's mm-hmm. introduced. I I like that we kind of have this, which I have to say, having watched this through, um. This is only the second time, to be fair, that I'm, I'm watching through. Well, technically, this is the third time that I'm watching right. through the episode. But um, there were little things like that that I didn't catch at the beginning watching it, such as they kind of, you know, introduce a a school of philosophy or or um, uh, what have you, something. To, you know, uh, uh, I think school is probably a good word, uh, and. Um, and then the the episode is kind of loosely based around that philosophy, right? Yeah. Um, so we have uh, contractualism, uh, according to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. I went off of Wikipedia this time. I went, okay. I went Ivy League in my searching, <laughs> um, uh, but I'm not. I'm not going to do the the deep dive. Um, it, just the general overview of 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 contractualism. Um, this is, um, it's, it says 
the term contractualism can be used in a broad sense to indicate the view that morality is based on contract or agreement, uh, or in a narrow sense to refer to a particular view developed in recent years by the Harvard philosopher T.M. Scanlon, especially in his book, What We Owe to Each Other, which is the the work that mm-hmm. they discuss in the introduction. Um this essay, interesting, it looked like a, a rather large book for an essay, but... Um, <laughs> well, in the Ivy League, the essay is about 800 pages. Yeah, yeah right, with, with tons of footnotes, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the essay takes uh, contractualism in the narrower sense, so it's looking specifically at this, this uh, whole referring to a particular view developed. Um, and uh, let's see, Scanlon's contractualism... Uh, there's a brief summary. Oh, it's talking about the article. Okay. So Scanlon introduces contractualism as a distinctive account of moral reasoning. He summarizes his account thus. An act is wrong if its performance under the circumstances would be disallowed by any set of principles for the general regulation of behavior that no one could reasonably reject as a basis for informed, unforced general agreement. So... Um, it's, it says, I'm just going to go a little bit deeper into this, um, that, uh, Scanlon's version of contractualism is not just concerned with determining which acts are right and wrong. It is also concerned with what reasons and forms of reasoning are justifiable. Whether or not a principle is one that cannot be reasonably rejected is to be assessed by appeal to the implications of individuals or agents being either licensed or or directed to reason in the way required by the principle. Scanlon's version offers an account of both, one, the authority of moral standards, and of two, what constitutes rightness and wrongness. I think that's enough of that. Um, that if you would like to, to read more of that, uh, you can go to plato.stanford.edu and uh, forward slash entries forward slash contractualism. Uh, and and you can do more of a of a deep dive into that yourself. So as Chidi mentions, it is not a film starring um, Laura Linney and Jude Law. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think that, which you confirmed that that was not a. Yeah, film. I did. I did. Uh, I did make sure that uh, what we do owe to each other is not a movie starring that. It does very sound very similar to the Keanu Reeves. Sandra Bullock movie, The Lake House. Uh, yes, but the actors which I totally in have the... not seen. <laughs> maybe <laughs> it sounds like you have, sir. <laughs> thou dost, dost what thou doth the protest too much. <laughs> uh, clearly, Shakespeare does not roll off Busted. my tongue. Busted. <laughs> um, but yeah, it sounded very plausible. Like I could see those two actors in it. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, so we we're introduced to to contractualism, which which does I mean come into play in a number of ways throughout mm-hmm. the episode. It comes into play, you know, most obviously through um, uh, uh, the um, Eleanor's promise to help Michael mm-hmm. in the role of his assistant, uh, but also in in. Uh, Chidi's relationship to, as teacher to Eleanor and also to to Jason, Gianni. yeah, Jason um, Gianni. and uh, and uh, you know helping Jason out, which is is done to hilarious <laughs> effect. As the they say everything 
except for third wheel. I love how <laughs> Chidi just, just keeps saying, yeah, but I'm the third person. <laughs> it's like a couple, but I'm a third person in that couple. <laughs> and how Jan is like, does not compute. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. My Did you have time codes for this one? I had. Yes, I do. I had, My first one is the... Uh, um, probably right after the credits, it's two minutes and thirty five seconds. Okay, long. mine is at two twenty, so I'm gonna start it there. Okay, um, because I want um, maybe talking about the same exact thing. Probably, Calendar. Thanks for coming in. Sorry about the mess. <clears throat> oh, I forgot. You don't see in nine dimensions. There's just a lot of there's a lot of tension in the air right now. That's okay. I I had to get that <laughs> bit of it in there um, because it's I his whole thing about uh, I'm sorry you don't see in nine dimensions I forget but there's a lot of tension in here and how he's just the space work that Ted Danson in that does in this about you know mm-hmm. like not clearly being bothered by the stuff that Eleanor can't see I think is is fantastic. <laughs> And I, I love the subtle touches of, you know, how how uh, Michael looks unshaven, a uh, little unkempt, his bow tie is undone. Um, there, there are just some great subtle pieces in here. And uh, I, I bet we're probably both talking about the piece that's a, that's going to come up uh, very okay, shortly buddy? here. You seem kind of stressed. No, 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 I'm fine. Top of my game, actually. <laughs> um, here, let me just uh, have a seat. <laughs> Hey, so to prepare. He moved to invisible meet, stuff off the chairs. I studied the human concept of friends. I even watched all <laughs> ten seasons of the show Friends. Boy, those friends really were friends, weren't they? Although, and I realize this is friends. the kind of observation that would only occur to the mind of an eternal being. How did they afford that apartment? <laughs> A waitress and a chef with those Manhattan real estate. Okay, you did have that feeling as well, right? Yeah. The, the... Oh, oh, no. So, uh, watching this with longtime Fork buddy, uh, Kristen, my wife, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she immediately says, and I wrote this verbatim, it was rent controlled because it belonged to Monica's grandmother. They were there illegally subletting the apartment. <laughs> Suck on that, Ted Danson. <laughs> 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 that was in quotes all right um i i had forgotten that though because i i have seen i i didn't watch friends when it was on i was actually uh it was one of those things in my you know i i, I generally have an aversion to things that are popular Yes. And so when Friends was on and popular, I purposely skipped out on it. I saw episodes here and there. Mm-hmm. It was just hard to escape. But I've since watched from beginning to end. So, And do you... I watched it when it was popular. Okay. And I think it's definitely one of those things, I think, as he mentions, it just went on too long. Yeah, I, I have actually a time marker for that later in <laughs> yeah. the in the episode. So we'll we'll talk about that when we get to it. But it, it, it did go on for too long. It's, um it's definitely to me a nineties show. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's this time capsule of a time when like it had nineties, mid twenties, nineties problems. Well, I've, it, I've I've I feel like I've if I were to I don't 
I've watched it a couple of times, episodes here and there since then. I feel like my love for it has diminished quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I liked it in the, at the time. I'm not sure I like it much now. It's again, so I think that it it was it benefited from the time that it aired and that it was kind of one of the last shows that that benefited from the limited um, options people had. Uh, so it was kind of like, well, you know, we'll just keep this show going for a while because people are used to watching it. And I think that that, you know, um, that that now with, where it, I think it would have gotten canceled um, earlier mm-hmm. if it were airing now. Um, but I don't know. I, I There is, you know, some some affection for it is a nostalgia piece yeah. uh, for me. I, you know, I, I, I like, um, I, I liked, I, I think I watched it, rewatched it pretty close to when I rewatched Mad About You. So the whole parallels, you know, how they introduced that it was all part of the same universe kind yeah. of, and how <laughs> Ursula was her sister. I forget that. Um, that was all part of the... Yeah. And I think Marta Kaufman worked on, on Mad About You. So mm-hmm. that, I think that that might've been her doing a little bit. I remember when they... I saw this on Twitter the other day that mm-hmm. they were showing like the TV guide ad for the first episode of Friends. Mm-hmm. And the thing that was to draw you in was that the it's from the writers of Dream On. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember watching Dream On like on um like just when I was like probably ten or twelve, because it was we had HBO and they that was did, a pretty risque show for yeah. somebody who wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was like it'd be like late night, and it was my parents would be in bed, so uh, it was a chance to watch boobs. Yeah, um, yes. Uh, so, and I just said that, <laughs> <laughs> and, but I don't remember it being particularly funny. Uh-huh. Um, so, like, and to use the show that on cable went back in a time when cable was not the number one game right uh, like they really were on your selling friends at this point <laughs> yeah yeah for sure um i i don't know if 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 saying from the writers of dream on gives it a little bit of an edgier um that's not a show that i've gone back to rewatch at all i can't imagine that it's aged terribly well i i don't think so i i remember it was one of those like it was something john landis had something to do with at one point okay and I remember Patrick McNee was in an episode, and that's pretty much... And then boobs. And, and, and boobs. And that's all I remember. Patrick McNee and boobs. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, all right. So I want to keep this playing for a little bit, because there's okay. another part in here that... Um, that well, there are a couple of things that yeah, are set we up throughout. Yeah, about that, too. Anyway, it's been a tough couple of days. Yeah. Right not your I wife. Your wife was not confused you. about that. Friend by my side. Well, you know me, the person who has audibly promised to help you. So, you need me to house it the whole week? Sounds like somebody's going to have a sweet vacay. As I told you before, my mom is very sick. I'm going to help her move it to assisted living. Well, I'm here for you. And your Wi-Fi is way better than my neighbor's, so I'm in. It's going to mean taking care of Lester, too. Walk and feed him twice a day. Give him his kidney medicine. Yeah, got it. Feed his kidneys. Eleanor, yeah. (laughs) This is going to be a very stressful week for me. I need to know that I can count on you. I won't let you down. I promise. All right, so so this this is introduced about uh, yeah it's 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 kind of uh, 
uh, acknowledging the growth of Eleanor, I think, mm-hmm. you know, recognizing the responsibility of a friend or of, of friendship and promising thing to do things um, by comparing it to a time when she uh, did not so much do that. Yes. Did you notice the picture of the dog on the wall, like in the style of a uh, Andy Warhol? I did not notice that. <laughs> That's funny. I, I did pay attention to a lot of things in this, though, that were very subtle. Um, that one is one that I missed. Um, my next time code is 445. Okay, mine is five and a half. Okay. And um, it's just like a little blurb that I points out an earlier reference to a previous episode. Okay. So, all right. So, I, I'll go to the 445 bit. No, I can't. She freaks me out. She's so pretty, like Nala from The Lion King. And she talks so smart, like um, Nala from The Lion King. You gotta help me. <laughs> that's, that's all I wanted. That little yeah. piece of Nala from The Lion King. She's, yeah, she's beautiful, like Nala from The Lion King. Smart, like Nala from The Lion King. I, it's just, again, those Jason being Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, our... <laughs> Yeah, it was just it was just a little funny thing. So you're at five minutes thirty. Is that yeah, right? I have five and a half. Just one of those little snippets that uh, harkens back to something that. Uh, oh, we we did gloss over Jason talking to Tahani and Magic Eight Ball speak. Yes, we did. Um, I don't think we need to go back to it, but I love that, especially mm-hmm. when he gets to Made in Taiwan. <laughs> well, that's that's why I'm actually. Oh, is it? So we didn't yes. skip it. How does I my. All right. Well, I just ruined it then. But you know what? Here we go. Well, this is this reintroduces it because the mm. earlier he was sitting cross-legged with the um with the right thing. Yeah. I know, but Eleanor's off with Michael, and John Yu feels comfortable when I'm around, right? Made in Taiwan. Yes, you were. <laughs> so once again, racist again. Racist because he's Filipino. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she once again proves heaven is racist. Come uh-huh. on. Um, this from the guy who pointed out that it would be racist for Eleanor to say Africa is the country. Um, yeah, seemed seemed a little <laughs> a little off for him, but it's it's. I thought that was. He, he's cool. already uncomfortable. His stomach's probably. Yeah. Um, does this lead into them going to the spa or does this go back to Michael's office at this point? I let's think it goes back. Well, it might play a little bit more. Let's go. <laughs> I never okay. really looked around your office the first day. This part. All this junk. Well, technically, architects aren't allowed to own any human objects, but I just love them so much. <laughs> and over here, look at this. So he's got... Michael's objects or wax lips, like what was that, like a Mark Twain bobblehead or something? Yes. Uh, a tape dispenser, um, just some ridiculous things. And then, and then this part I love because it comes I back think it's several the most times. Amazing things in the world. Yeah, sure. Anyway, he just has current. this giant bowl full of paper clips, and it's it's. I don't know. It, I, it I, appears to give him so much comfort. It does. Um, so, yeah, that was just Michael's Earth stuff. He just likes having that around. Um, the next... Now, I wanted to move to um, Michael talking about frozen yogurt, uh, which 
uh, comes in at eight fifty nine. Okay. So I had the little thing I maybe wanted to bring up around seven ten. Okay. I think it's further into the scene where he break. I'm not working. Will help me work? Yes. Recharge the old batteries. I promise. <laughs> this is gonna help both of us. Let's go. Let's keep our eyes peeled for twigs that may have a nefarious agenda. Okay, crazy, come on. <laughs> Which leads me to believe that Michael has seen the Evil Dead. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. I. So let's talk about a couple of, of things that um, that uh, that um, are, are said during that scene because mm-hmm. it. Uh, first of all, we've got Mike Michael suspicious of some bad rocks. How yes. he went through all of the rocks in the good place, and he's brought in the ones that he thinks might be the cause mm-hmm. of what's going on. Uh, and and his, his he introduces fascination with earth stuff, his fascination with paper clips, mm-hmm. um, and he's he's got he's got um, so. But Eleanor convinces him to take a day off, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, to take take a breather, to uh, get out of out of uh, his headspace and and go do some things. She's um, essentially the Ferris Bueller to his Cameron. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, that's a pretty good comparison. Um, the uh, that's that actually is. Uh, I can't think of a more apt one to compare that to. I didn't Hello, have this Janet. one, but let's John let's hear a little bit because I just uh-huh. love couples package, please. <clears throat> and also, I will be joining them. Great. And who is the other half of your couple? Oh no, no, it's just me. Couples are pairs of people. Yep, and and uh, there is a pair of people, Tahani and John Yu, and then also I am here. <laughs> Great. And who will be joining you? No one. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's really quite simple, Janet. They are a couple, and I am a third part of that couple uh, <laughs> a helper part who is here for fun and excitement so three person couple <laughs> does not compute does not compute <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> i mean it- I, I i i love how janet just pulls their leg all the time yes like, yeah um but i i did love how Chidi just keeps talk, like skirting around the the most obvious concept is he's the third wheel yes. that he's the the hanger on the person who's tagging along, mm-hmm. um, and it's just not not actually spoken about or not <laughs> not brought up as the concept, which leads me to believe a couple of things. One that he's been the third wheel before. Yes, um, and uh, also that he, you know I don't know he just. I think that Chidi's um, worldview precludes some of the the more obvious um, answers to things or descriptors of things, such as being the third wheel, such as being terrible at decision making. You know, all these things that well, that he, he's is, an intellectual. Yeah. Whereas we can, or as Eleanor can summarize contractualism and about a minute or so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we we attempted to do so with a <laughs> yes the, the uh what are the stanford encyclopedia of, <laughs> of philosophy or whatever um okay so to this bit here are we um going to the when yogurt uh michael and eleanor gained yogurt yes yeah i had this marked down too do I be nice to Tahani or do I throw all her jewelry in the toilet? I like that's how that was an option. <laughs> that's the opposite of being nice. 
What is it with you and frozen yogurt? Have you not heard of ice cream? Oh, sure, but I've come to really like frozen yogurt. There's something so human about <laughs> taking something great and ruining it a little so you can have more of it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I do love that. The- Speaking as of, as I, I, I do like ice cream, and I would eat ice cream all the time if I wasn't painfully aware that it uh, makes more of me. So yeah. um, the the, uh, the the idea of of kind of glomming on to frozen yogurt as something that I know doesn't. <laughs> taste quite as good or bring as much joy as as ice cream but i enjoy it because i know i can have more of it yes <laughs> and then that gives you the liberty to glob on the toppings yeah. that you so want such as your michi or, or mochi and mochi and your and your lychee <laughs> i don't like lychee uh well I, I don't mind lychee but i it's it's mochi on the yogurt i actually i i did naked yogurt last night oh i just did uh, a mix of of some classic vanilla that was very nice and some pumpkin because tis the season and mm-hmm. i'm a sucker for pumpkin stuff and uh and a little bit of tart to add just uh <laughs> that that kind of edge to it. Very nice. <laughs> I had an edgy swirl. Um, <laughs> all right. No out. Um, I have ten twenty. I have about one. ten minutes for me. Okay, so we'll go to that one. Well, you probably included the entire song. I um, we we don't have to because we, this brings up a um, this brings up the uh, well. It brings up a part of pop culture that I do not like. Which is is karaoke? Uh, are no. you not a fan of karaoke? Oh no, I like not karaoke. a fan of Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. <laughs> um which in in my mind is a is a very, you know, like uh, Springsteen for people who don't know what oh. music is. <laughs> oh, if don't get me even get me started on on Mr. John Bon Jovi. Well, not him him he is okay. As a person, sure, he's he seems like a very nice guy, and I'm sure as a musician he can play guitar, mm-hmm. which is a lot more than I can do. So I will give. I him like that. I like the um I, I like the the way that's expressed. I'm sure as a musician he can play guitar. Yes, <laughs> he seems to be very skilled. You know, he can strum the strings. I uh, he can apparently can write songs, but um, you're kind of touching on something that uh, I don't like about Mister. Mr. Bon Jovi. Well, so the um, I, I I do I I'm not a fan of Bon Jovi. Yeah. I, I will come right out and say that I'm not going to support um, a, an alternative view, yeah. as it were. But I Nor do, do I. I do like Young Guns, and <laughs> which is potentially one of the best worst movies of all time. Uh, and you know, I don't think that I've probably seen it since the 90s, mm-hmm. um, but. The idea that you have Kiefer Sutherland, uh, Emilio Estevez, <laughs> and uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. Um, who else is in? I think Dermot Dermot Mulroney. Uh, is he in the first one, or is he only in Young Guns Two? I I think he's in both. Is he in both? Okay, he might be in both. Um, and you've got yeah. I just it's it's so of its time, and that mm-hmm. soundtrack also lends itself to being so of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so yeah, I, I did like the nod to Young Guns specifically. So call me Young Guns. <laughs> what? The 
This is so interesting. I mean, there's no point to it. The images on the screen relate to nothing. <laughs> Some time passed and then it was over. That's karaoke. Let's do it again. Okay. So, My hands are so a couple of things to point out here. Classically trained singer, mm-hmm. Kristen Bell. Uh-huh. Singing horribly. Singing horribly. Horribly. <laughs> Probably to not make Ted Danson look bad. Although, I, you know, I don't know. There, there are those people who sound great singing karaoke and fuck them. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, the idea that, that Michael is also an architect and, you know, just it's clearly that it's clear that Ted Danson doesn't have a good singing voice. No. Um, but I, I do enjoy, enjoy that. But um, uh, yeah, but uh, again, to, I feel like this is maybe, maybe a moment where I have to, exp- I've hated Bon Jovi for years. And mm-hmm. part of the reason is because he is like, I feel like he never, he takes something that maybe is popular at the time mm-hmm. and then just kind of just, takes the like skims it off and takes what he skimmed off and makes that his yeah yeah to the to your point springsteen Mm -hmm. like because first he was heavy metal like Mm -hmm. that's where bad madison came from and uh, like he was really into like that motley crew glam Mm -hmm. 80s metal sort of thing and then Born in the USA. Oh, wait, I'm from Jersey, too. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. And mm-hmm. then through the 90s, he kind of did it again and again. Like, oh, boy band ballads. Mm-hmm. Power, mm-hmm. you know. He just keeps doing this thing. And even with country, he did it with country. It's He's like, he just takes what's popular at the time and just skims the surface of it. And then and he, he Bon Jovi's it, it up. Yeah, he makes <laughs> it his very lousy persona. Um, yeah, I, I I'm not going to argue with you on that one. Yeah. Um, so, where do you want to go from here, sir? Um, uh, I wrote so much about Bon Jovi. <laughs> do you have more to? to, to <laughs> no, go I have no. Bon I have nothing about? else to say about um, Bon Jovi so much. But I think um, I had something at twelve forty-five. I don't think it was very meaningful at this point. But okay, um, okay. So wherever um, you would like to go next, I think. I is. wanted to go to day two of Eleanor helping out um, because I like what she brings to distract Michael for the second day. I They never do a close-up of uh, what... Um, well, we are skipping over a little bit here. So I think that we can talk about this without um, without needing to watch it. Um Huh, the time codes are a little different here on this um, that part of it, but it it brings up a little bit of the um, uh, possibility of Tahani and Chidi, right? Because it goes into. Um, you know their their mutual admiration for the impressionists, and um, that it seems like you know there's this kind of awkward moment with the uh, the soulmate uh, muffins buy yes. two for nothing uh, because everything there is free. Uh, but but with Chidi saying, well, we're not really soulmates; we're more like soul friends, right? Um, and what does he owe Eleanor? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they were supposed to be soulmates, and then what does? 
uh, Tahani O Jianyu Jason slash Jason. Yeah, um, that's yeah. It's it's it, it introduces a lot of of things very subtly, which I like the way they handle that um, because it seems like, and I think they do a good job of of parlaying that later as well. Um, that it's not, you know, I don't know. We, it, it does, you know, get explored a little bit more. So we, we can talk about that when it comes to it. But, um, yeah, I thought that was, that was interesting the way they introduced it there in the, in the cafe. Um, and sitting there, it was, it felt like it was kind of a romantic setting. Like, uh, like it, 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 it introduced the idea of them being an item. And they're, and they're bonding over something they don't know yet. Like, mm-hmm. cause like Chi knows he is, knows Jianyu's secret. Mm-hmm. And that he's carrying this and he knows how much pressure it's causing, um, um, Tahani, mm-hmm. um, how much distress it causes her. And Eleanor is definitely causing a lot of stress on Chi. Yeah. So, uh, but I don't think he, she doesn't know why, Jianyu is causing her so much stress other than like he is talking from a magic eight ball. She doesn't know his wisdom comes from an eight ball and he's truly an idiot from Florida. Yeah, exactly. All right. Hey buddy, I have all new fun stuff for us to do today. Eleanor, I have huge news. Not working actually worked um so <laughs> uh we did skip over something um i and i think did i not have it down i wanted to um i think we also skipped over something that i wanted to point out but it's a visual thing so you don't technically have to go back to it uh, it is a visual thing. I want to talk about the signs. Okay. Uh, for me, it was the signs. Uh, but like how the bookstore is called All the Books. Yes. And how the chocolate shop is called All Chocolate Everything. Um, <laughs> and, what, I, and, and what the spa place is called, the spa place is called the good, like the good face, or uh-huh. the good place. Yeah. So. Uh, I, so I, I like how that, I, I think that, I don't know if some of these, so it's going to go back to the Simpsons, right? Because the right. Simpsons did such a masterful job with like the signs for the various things that pop up in the town, like the music shop being called King Toots and, uh, (laughs) you know, all like all these, these subtle touches. And I think that people, you know, it happens in Bob's Burgers where you've got the different name of the shop that's next to the funeral home every time. Yes. Um, and the different pest control shop as well. Yes. Yes. And, um, and how, you know, I, I think that that's sort of, um, that people who are writing these things now grew up with that, and mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, filtered into into their work as well. Well, it's it's funny, too. So, the one thing that I like about Parks and Rec, and, and also the show, is that it does create, like, is like a live-action version to me of The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. It creates this, you this fictional community and all these characters that just kind of pop up every once in a while mm-hmm. in it. And I think it, it sort of starts to happen here. The more further we go into the good place, certain characters pop up and right. um, it does create a universe with like rules. And um, what and, was, what was your visual thing? Um, so at, 
16 minutes in, you notice that Michael is wearing the paper clips as a bracelet. I had that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to point that out as well. I, I loved that touch of he loves paper clips so much. He has a paper clip bracelet. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, I thought that was great. Um, I do want to, uh, uh, so we would have gotten to it, I think, because I want to talk about, um, about Jason's idea of an impressionist. Um, oh, yeah. Impressionist painting specifically. Um, and that I have at 1628. Um, so I, we probably should talk about though, this whole, like how, um, Michael's idea of you go back to the spot. Okay. Who was here? Mm-hmm. And how Jenna's like, Oh, there were only like, uh, these 11 people who were here at the time. And then everybody who was flying overhead. So these 300 pages <laughs> or whatever it was, um, and uh, yeah so michael's idea of being able to narrow down who the problem was um by by figuring out who was in what place at the time um but all right so so we're in we're in jason's butthole um (laughs) oh hey homie thanks for your advice i'm about to give the honey the best gift ever check it (laughs) What? She likes the Impressionist paintings, right? I got a painting of the best Impressionist of all time. Frank Caliendo. He can do it all. Fat Al Pacino. Fat Jerry Seinfeld. Regular John Madden. Say hello to my little friend. Forget about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's just so great. His Jason is the best. I, you know, again... He just is so Jason all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were talking about this in previous episodes about how, you know, he's the closest to, he knows who he is. Yes. Um, but, yeah, it's it's great. And he's unashamed of who he is. Yeah, he does. <laughs> he does all the greats. Fat Al Pacino, <laughs> Fat Jerry Seinfeld, and regular John Madden. <laughs> Whereas I, whereas if I were to admit my love of Frank Caliendo to you, which mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I kind of think he's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I immediately feel some shame afterwards because, <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, what, what are you going to do? I, but, yeah. um, but he's just so unabashedly like in love with Frank Caliendo and just the fact that he thinks he's impressionist. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does he's, impressions. Yes. <laughs> he's no day God though. <laughs> yeah. I love paintings of the impressionists and Jason translates in, into a painting of Frank Caliendo. Is it, yeah. Of an impressionist. So, uh, anyway, we can probably let this scene play through. My specific point comes partway into it. Um, but this is there now so the in the site of the sinkhole opening up. The guest list that night was limited. There were a total of 30 people here that night. <laughs> Only 30, huh? Yeah. How do you pump your fist again? He is not good at pumping his fist. Yeah. But 66 <laughs> others passed through to take a look before it opened, and everyone else in the neighborhood was in a close radius. Oh, boy, that doesn't narrow it down at all. <laughs> Feels like the end of the road. End of the road. Boys to men. Karaoke. <laughs> Let's go. Don't think about it too much. Janet, my hoodie, please. <laughs> I, I love this whole thing. I give up. I can't help the people I promised that I would help. 
I feel like friends in season eight. <laughs> Out of ideas and forcing Joey and Rachel together, even though it made no sense. <laughs> I hope the sinkhole opens up again and swallows me whole. Oh, and then, okay, so we don't need to play this through, but Fat Dog is great. <laughs> um, so this is this is Eleanor's growing moment, and... Uh, but I, I wanted to, so that's where I noticed the paperclip bracelet, which I thought was a nice touch. And then um, that that Michael needs to change a tire to his giving up a tire, which is a hoodie. Yes. <laughs> Michael is so emo at this very he, moment right now. <laughs> um, and, but, right, so, so um, Eleanor... Eleanor uh, does the magnanimous thing, knowing that it's possible that it could lead her lead to her expulsion from the good place of doing the right thing, mm-hmm. and and she promised Michael she would help him, and she's gonna help him, and she's there for whatever he needs. She mm-hmm. becomes, you know, in that moment, an actual true friend, uh, and 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 acts. That's kind of, you know, there are hints here and there, and we talked about. You know, debating whether things were selfless or not for her, mm-hmm. uh, in the in the the occasion of causing the sinkhole in order to save Jason from himself. Yeah. Um, but having that be a selfish motivation as well. In in this instance, this feels pretty truly selfish. She knows mm-hmm. that at this point, it, this can do nothing, or at least she feels thinks at this point that this can do nothing but cause her a problem, and she. Mm-hmm decides that the more important thing is to be there for her friend and be a real friend. Yeah. Um, so, so again, here we have growth for Eleanor. Um, I did love the, the, uh, you know, like season eight of friends, <laughs> the Joey. And Angel, Cause I feel like, yeah, it's when we, that didn't make any sense no. whatsoever, but also neither did Joey and Elle McPherson. So, you know, <laughs> Joey doesn't make sense with, with a lot of things. With That's a true. lot of things. Um, but that was so. That's the last specific scene that I wanted to to talk about for for me. I mean, um, yeah. if there's anything that you want to hit on, I think that we can kind of of just uh, discuss from here. That of course, you know, Michael um, Michael comes out of his his funk. He gets mm-hmm. re-energized. He's like, uh, you know, he does. He figures out what the the problem is, and he reveals at a point where uh, Eleanor is all ready to be, you know, kicked out of the good place that Michael thinks he's the problem. Yes. Or it was like, she's like, Oh great. Like, like it, maybe it did work, Mm -hmm. but like it kind of backfired maybe in a way. Well, yes and no though, because it was setting it up from the kind of from the beginning, which we, Mm -hmm. we skipped the part where Michael says, you know, that he is the only architect who has decided to live in his own neighborhood, Mm -hmm. that none of the other architects live in what they build. Um, And so he realizes there that, you know, hey, this was his experiment of being there to make sure everything went right and everybody Mm -hmm. was happy. And um, he feels like he's the, uh, the anomaly because none of the other good places have an architect there. Um, 
And of so, course, Janet was no help either to him. He's like, yeah. oh, yeah, here's the three people, that five people with her taking care of the garbage. Yeah. And here are the 300 people who were... Yes, exactly. She wasn't. I, Janet tries to help. Mm-hmm. Um, and what... Uh, I, I I also did like how they executed that in that it was always Janet that <laughs> that uh, that had to actually deflate Michael's uh, happiness or like <laughs> excitement at at figuring things out. Um, that ultimately that burden was taken off of Eleanor. She never had to be try to think her way out of it or or say, well, you know, that's it was always Janet who's like, and all these people. She essentially was doing Eleanor's job. For exactly. Her. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, she was. Um, but that that brings us to the end of episode six. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything, any final thoughts from you on this at all? No, it's, this is probably a fun episode for me. I, yeah, I, it's, I thought it was I thought it was great because you get to see people loosen up, you mm-hmm. know, and I get to see Ted Danson's in karaoke. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, yes. it's Bon Jovi, but I mean. Mm-hmm. It's, they had to pick a terrible song. Yes. So they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it, Fork Buddies. As as mentioned after our our particularly long intro um and all of the technical difficulties that you don't have to hear. So lucky you guys. Uh we struggled through it in real time. <laughs> Uh, anyway, you can leave us reviews on Apple podcasts. Um, you know, ratings are fantastic, but reviews help too. And, uh, all it does is help even more people listening. And thank you so much to the people that do listen. Uh, you can email us at, uh, at what the fork pod at gmail.com. And, um, and we're on, uh, Twitter at what the fork pod, and you can be just like Chris Harris did and just interact with, uh, points in our, in our lengthy discussion for a half hour show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Later fork buddies. Later fork buddies.